You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning. How are y'all doing? I know that sometimes as believers we wrestle with knowing what to pray, so I'll tell you what to pray about. You could pray for Tanner's eyes, because these are the brightest lights I've ever seen. So if, if you don't know what to pray to God, pray that his retina would not be seared. All right, so we are in Galatians 1, more specifically verses 11 through 24. Uh, in case you don't know who I am, my name is Devontae McLean, and I'm a member of the community group that has my last name. So if you do not have a Bible, raise your hand, and I don't, I don't know who, Tanner didn't tell me who, but somebody will get you one if you raise your hand if you don't have one. So again, that's Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Thanks, Dev. Hey, good morning. Uh, my name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Odessa. It's good to be with you this morning. If you're a guest, uh, under your chair, there's a connect card. You can take a minute, fill that out, get it back to us. Let us know how we can serve you, how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And uh, if you're on your phone or your tablet, we use the ESV. And like Dev said, if you need a Bible, we can get you one. You can raise your hand chat or somebody will will hook you up. So we're uh, we're currently walking through a series in Galatians. And um, before we go any further, regardless of this if this is your first time with us or you're back for week 3, um, I want to just point a couple things out for exegetical purposes, for, for Bible study purposes um, as you're reading Galatians devotionally perhaps. The book of Galatians can be broken up into three sections. Chapters 1 and 2 are the biography section where Paul is, is talking about who he is and why. 
um, what he's saying is important and why he has the authority even to say it. So chapters 1 and 2 are biography. Chapters 3 and 4 are theology sections, like who is God, why, why does this matter? And then uh, chapters 5 and 6 are what we call the ethics section, like how does the theology impact my daily life? And so we're going to continue on walking through learning more about who Paul is this morning. Paul's going to continue defending the gospel and defending his apostolic authority by way of sharing more of this story. Namely, he's sharing like how God radically saved him. And so this is more of Paul's autobiography for us. So I started in vocational ministry the way most people my age start in vocational ministry. I was 20, and somebody offered me a youth internship, basically like to set up chairs for Wednesday night services. And then after I kind of did that for a couple years, I became a, a youth pastor in a few churches in my early to mid-20s. Now, growing up in church in the, uh, in the early 2000s, or the aughts as I like to call them, um, and when I'm pastoring students in the later aughts and into the early teens, um, you'd go to these church camps uh, or these youth conferences, and you would hear these people share their, their testimony, share their stories. These men and women would share their stories, and they'd have these amazing stories of like lives of, of dealing drugs or using drugs or gangbanging or like being sexually promiscuous. And God would radically get a hold of these people's lives and was using them in amazing ways to, to minister to people. And so I'd be sitting out there as a student um, with my two loving parents at home from a long lineage of church-going folks, like grandparents, great-grandparents. And I was enjoying my very sheltered, upper-middle-class lifestyle with my upper-middle-class friends. And I'd start thinking, man, my story is so, so dull and boring. Like, I love church, and I'm trying to be obedient to Jesus, but I really have nothing cool to talk about, uh, at least in the public eye. So then I'd be sitting out there thinking, like, maybe I should start selling dope to my friends, or maybe I should become a drug dealer. I mean, I live in Hobbs at this time, so it doesn't look like it's that hard uh, to, to get into that game. So... If I'd started doing that, then maybe I'd have some more credibility to talk to people about the amazing grace of God, right? Like, look at me. I used to sell weed in the bathroom in my high school, and, and God saved me out of that lifestyle. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else ever? Can anybody else relate, or is it just me? Um, but here's what happened. I was so afraid of my mom, not my dad, but my mom. Uh, to ever disobey, so I would just continue on doing my churchy things, doing all the things that I was supposed to do, rule following, but often, if I'm honest, completely missing Jesus in the process. And the Lord has been so kind and gracious to reveal this to me. And oftentimes, I still have to be reminded of like, Rule following does not equate to, to Christianity. Um, and so as we walk through this text this morning today, I just want to again uh, remind us of our identities in Christ. I want to remind you that Paul's story is also your story. If you're in Christ, 
Paul's story is your story. Regardless of what your life was like before Christ entered in, if you have been called by God into grace, if you've been called by God into forgiveness, you have been radically saved. So as we walk through our text this morning, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to not cheapen your story. And I want to encourage you to see how a relationship with Jesus changes things in your life. Regardless of whether or not your life before Christ was rife with scandal or before Christ called you, your life was, you were being developed and trained and discipled in a local church. So maybe God called you into faith through your churchy upbringing or even in spite of your churchy upbringing. And so let's not cheapen our stories in here this morning and let's just see how the Apostle Paul's story is, in fact, our story. So let's pray and then we're going to jump into this text together. Lord Jesus, we need you. Show us our great need for you, Lord. Lord, what we're going to see in this text this morning is that you're pleased to call people from every tribe, nation, and tongue under the face of the earth into your family, Lord. But you're also pleased to call um, people out of the chains of, like, moral deism. And, Lord, that you're pleased to call the irreligious wayward sinner, Lord, and we are also wretched and don't deserve your grace, and you are gracious and merciful to us. So, Lord, I pray that you would impress on the hearts of men and women this morning our need for you. Regardless of what our stories are, Lord, we all need you. We're all just broken vessels. Lord, bind up wounds in here this morning. Bind up the brokenhearted in here this morning. Lord, bring comfort to the afflicted. Lord, I just pray for peace. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you'd pray for yourself. That the Lord would show you just how great his grace is to you. More that the Lord would impress on your heart your need for him this morning. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to start where we ended last week and lead us through a little bit of a review. Um, if you were here last week, Matt preached, and we're super thankful for the job he did. Um, it's good to be back with you and, and not in bed sick. So, <laughs> uh, This week's text is going to be a continuation of, of the last two Sundays. So Paul starts, I'm actually going to start in verse 10. Paul starts in verse 10 of chapter 1 by saying, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? 
If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So just as a way of review, especially if you're, this is your first Sunday with us in Galatians, Paul has planted these churches in the region of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and almost as soon as he left the area, these men from Jerusalem come in and they go to these churches and they begin casting doubt on not only Paul's authority, but also on the gospel of Jesus. And so Paul is writing to defend these two things. Paul, in verse 10, draws a line in the sand. He says, his only desire is faithfulness to God. And in that faithfulness to the word of God, his only desire is to be faithful to the gospel. Because Paul is so confident in the gospel, he has been set free from people-pleasing. So some of you need to hear this. Paul is so confident in the gospel, he has been set free from being a people pleaser. The gospel produces confidence in God and leads to a fearlessness of men. Because of the gospel, because of your identity as a believer in Jesus, your primary concern is no longer, what do they think about me? But rather, it's what does God think about me? If you're more concerned with pleasing people, if you're more concerned with pleasing man, your faithfulness to Jesus then becomes a lot harder. You cannot serve two masters. Man, but here's some good news, people-pleasing types in here. If you're in Christ, God is pleased with you. If you are in Christ, God is pleased with you. And that's all that really matters. Because of the blood of Jesus interceding on your behalf, God is pleased with you. You are now free to live a life. You are now free to live in a way which pleases the Lord. Meaning this, when you sin, Christian, when you sin, and you will, even as Christians, you will sin, there is grace to you from God who sent his son, and we have assurances from God that because of the work of Jesus to save Christians, we are secure in Christ. And we are secure in Christ to love God and to live for him. So Paul's essentially saying, I'm not really concerned with opinions about me. I'm certainly not concerned with the Judaizers' opinions of me. These Judaizers would come in and they were preaching a different gospel, as we learned last week, than the one that Paul preached. Paul says, I don't care what they think about me. I'm only concerned with God's calling on my life to be his servant. And so then Paul will launch into more defense of the gospel with two predominant themes— These themes are the origins of Paul's message and the transformation of Paul's life. So let's look at these two themes together. Galatians 1, beginning in verse 11, it says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So first we see the origin of, Uh, the origins of Paul's gospel. So two weeks ago, we mentioned that Paul has warned these churches in Galatia that they're in danger of leaving Christ and following something completely other. And yet, 
In verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul pronounces grace on them. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And in this verse he calls, and then verse 11, he calls them brothers or brothers and sisters. Meaning that while they are in serious danger of abandoning Christ for something else that is not Christ, it is not completely hopeless. Paul still regards the recipients of his letter as Christians, albeit Christians who are in danger of abandoning the faith that they claim to have. So this is just a little aside, but this is like one major benefit of Christian community here. In Christian community, the goal is not primarily fellowshipping with other believers. Like, like the goal is not primarily having a supper club. Um, but one of the primary goals of Christian community is pointing one another back to Christ when our desires for him are lacking or pointing one another back to Christ when we are in danger of stepping out of proper, proper worship of Jesus and proper belief in Jesus. Man, when our brothers and sisters are in danger of abandoning truth for something else, then Christians, then, we speak the truth in love to one another in order to point one another back to the beauty and the wonder of the gospel of Jesus. That's what Paul's doing here. He's been building his case. One of the main arguments against Paul was that he was not a real apostle. An apostle means one who is sent by God, and these Judaizers are coming in saying, Paul's not a real apostle. He's just been trained by the real apostles. He's just been trained by Peter, James, and John, and those other guys. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Let me tell you about my commissioning to ministry. This gospel that I have been preaching now for several years was not taught to me by men. I did not attend a seminary. I learned this directly from God himself by what he says is a revelation of Jesus Christ. The origins of Paul's message were not for man. Man did not make this up. The gospel, if we're honest, is not something that most people would come up with on their own, right? I mean, think about any superhero story you've ever heard. The hero does not die at the end, right? The hero doesn't die. The hero generally doesn't live in humble means. The hero doesn't generally have to suffer. Man, or think about it in just like more spiritual terms. If we're writing this out, like if we're coming up with the gospel on our own, I'd be pretty inclined to say, we wouldn't write it this way. We would have some sort of like merit-based point-earning system for earning God's favor, for earning God's love, for earning our way into heaven, right? The good ones get in. The bad ones miss out. It seems a little more reasonable, right? That's our natural position. That's the natural position of our hearts. We want to work for things. We want to work for God's love. Tony Morita says that grace is counterintuitive to our natural inclinations. We like works-based righteousness because we think we deserve 
the stuff. Like if we do good, we're going to get blessings. That's our natural inclinations of our hearts. However, works-based righteousness is motivated by unbelief in God. See, we don't naturally trust grace because we want to control it. Think about it like this. The gospel of grace is like water. Man did not create water, and yet man cannot live without water. Tony Marita says again, we are spiritually thirsty creatures in need of the living water of the gospel. As believers, we need to keep drinking from this well of grace. Many Christians think they should move on from the gospel like it's a one-time occurrence in the life of a believer. However, and this is, not, this is just not true. We have to keep drinking it in more and more. We have to keep growing in the gospel. We have to keep growing in our knowledge of who Christ is and growing in our practice of living for Christ. When we have a right understanding of the gospel and a daily abiding in Christ, it leads to mission as we are more fully aware of what our eternal position is apart from Christ's work to us. And the gospel of Jesus leads us to rest in what Christ has done for us. The gospel leads us to rest. It doesn't simply lead us to more morality. It doesn't simply lead us to behavior modification. Look, man, um, I'm trying to stop saying man. It's, it's deeply ingrained in me. Um, like Being moral is important. Like following, doing what Christ calls you to is important. But it's only important as a response to what Jesus has done for us. A relationship with Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. We're not obedient and rule followers to try to earn God's love. The gospel leads us to freedom and delight in Christ. Because we can trust what Christ has done for us. And what has Christ done for us? Well, let's hear from Paul and his experience. This is theme two, Paul's transformed life. Verse 13, it says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul lets us into his life. Um, like this is Paul B.C., Paul before Christ. Um, Paul was a Jew of Jews. Not only that, he was also so anti-Christian and so anti-Jesus. And in all of his activity, he thought he was right. He was a fierce proponent of Judaism, so much so that he was trying to destroy the church of God. Like nothing short of total annihilation was going to satisfy Paul. He was not only extreme in his beliefs, the text calls him a zealot, he was extreme in his practices. So the book of Acts paints for us a picture of a man who would go from town to town and drag Christians out of their homes and then watch them get executed. 
So Paul's story serves for us a picture of the hopelessness of, of Judaism. And he's painting this picture for his Jewish audience. Paul was the most Jewish man to ever walk the planet by his own admission. And he leaves it all behind. If Judaism is a false gospel like Paul exposes, then it could be said that Paul was in fact, as he would later claim, the chief of sinners. And he was also so proud to be that before Christ got a hold of his life. Paul was sincere in his Jewishness. And that ought to communicate to us that sincerity does not lead to salvation. Sincerity does not lead to salvation if you are not sincere about Christ. Man, you can be consumed with religion. You can be consumed with checking boxes and playing churchy games. You can be consumed with all kinds of religious devotion and still miss Jesus. You can do a lot of good, godly things with wrong, sinful motives and miss Jesus. Paul was by all accounts a terrorist. And God radically saved him. Verse 15. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Man, Paul begins by giving us one of the most important words in the entire Bible. He says, but. Paul is saying, I was doing all of this stuff. I was living a life contrary to the calling of God. But. But God. But God did a work in me by the presence and power of his son, Jesus. Paul says, before I was born, he's highlighting the doctrine of election where God has set his seal of salvation on people. God had set me apart before I was born. God had revealed himself to me. God had called me by his grace at this divine moment. God was pleased to reveal himself to me. It's not based on any merit found in Paul. It's not based on any worthiness in us that we can be saved, but only by the good and pleasing will of God to us, who before the foundation of the world set his seal of adoption on believers in Jesus. God calls us. God works in us. God converts us to follow him. God converts people by faith alone, in Christ alone, given through the Holy Spirit, through the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. It is by grace alone from the God who calls people unto salvation. That's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is Jesus' rescue mission to set us free from sin and bondage and slavery and to call us into a family, to call us to live for him and to follow him by faith in him. And God is the one who calls us. And his calling is gracious in nature because we don't deserve it. 
And God's calling is irresistible. When he calls us, we can't get away from it. Consider what Paul is saying about his former life. Man, Paul had all he needed in his own life. Paul had status. Paul had influence. Paul had money. He had all of this without God. And God called him. And he left it all behind for the sake of knowing Jesus and for the sake of serving Jesus. Paul was not looking for God. Paul was, in fact, an enemy of God. And God radically intervened on Paul's behalf. You see, church, if you are in Christ, this too is your story. Apart from Christ, you are an enemy of God. Apart from Christ, you have no hope in this life. Apart from Christ, you have no hope for an eternity or a future. But God, being rich in mercy by his good and pleasing will, was pleased to reveal his son to you at the proper time. And like Paul, you have been called for a purpose. Paul tells us what his purpose is, and then he continues on his defense of his apostolic authority. Let's pick it up in verse 16. So Paul says he was called that God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's also Peter, uh, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still known in person, uh, unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul says he's called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. After his conversion, the text says he went to Arabia for three years. There he was taught by God uh, the mysteries of the faith. He did not go to Jerusalem and consult with the other apostles, which is what these false teachers were accusing him of. He went after three years of, of training, being trained by God himself. Therefore, his apostolic authority is not from the mother church in Jerusalem. It's, it's from God. Peter, James, John, they did not tell Paul about what the gospel was. God himself revealed it to Paul. So after a three-year period, he did go and spend a couple weeks with Peter and James, which is Jesus' brother, as a way to just confirm their messages. Like, are, these, are we saying the same thing? Paul went seeking unity, and when this was confirmed, he continued to preach, and he was doing preaching ministry for three years while he was with the Lord. He ends up in a place known as Judea, and the response of the people is evidence of God's grace on the life of Paul. They were like, hey, wasn't this guy like not that long ago beating us up and trying to kill us, and now he's proclaiming Christ? God called this man who used to want to destroy the church, but now he's preaching the resurrected Christ. 
and they glorified God. They glorified God because they received this message from Paul by faith in Christ. Paul's not bragging on himself. He's celebrating what God is doing in the lives of others as well as his own because God has radically saved him. Okay, so this is kind of a hard text. Like, this is one of those texts that is more descriptive, like what's going on here, than, than prescriptive, like what should we do with this? Um, but there are a couple things um, that I think we can apply from this text in our own lives. So I want to I give you a couple of these things. God's grace, God's undeserved, unmerited favor to sinners is for the religious and the irreligious. God's grace is for the churchy types and those who have never been to church in their entire lives. God's grace is for the most moral and the most amoral people. God's grace is for the rule followers and the rebels. Salvation from God is precious and a gift. Church, when you consider the depths of your sin and the fact that God would set you apart before you were born, the question shouldn't be, how come God saves some and not others? But when you really consider the depths of your sin, the question is, why would God save anyone? Why does God save anybody? We are so wretched. Consider the depths of your sin. Your heart is so wicked. Even the most moral, relatively nice people among us, we're so wretched. We're so guilt-laden with sin. We are so unable to save ourselves, and yet God chooses to bestow grace upon his people. And that's why grace is amazing. God can take the most religious person who has completely missed Jesus and transform their life. And God can take the most hard-hearted people and soften hearts to receive grace and mercy by faith that he has so richly given us on the cross and through the resurrection, and he can call both types of people into life. Consider what Paul says in Romans 3. Says Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Meaning truly everyone. All have sinned. All have missed the mark. All have rebelled against God and His holiness. We have all missed the mark. We have all missed the standard that God has set for us. Therefore, we do not measure up. You don't measure up. You don't measure up to the standard God has set for you. All have missed it. Every single one of us. We all fall short. And not only that, not only do we fail to live up to the standard, our sin is more than just like bad choices and mistakes. Our sin is active rebellion against God. And it leads to broken fellowship with God. It leads to broken fellowship with other Christians. It leads to broken fellowship with others. And then it leads us to feeling guilty. 
leads us to feeling shame. It leads us to feeling fear. It leads us to feelings of condemnation. Our sin accuses us. Our sin accuses us. It functions as chains and weights that weigh us down and pull us down. Man, consider this for a second. I'm just, I can't stop saying man. I'm sorry. I'll work on it. Um, Church, consider this for a second. Especially if you are currently walking in willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin, secret sin. Consider this for a second. What would it feel like to be found out? What if, like, I just brought you up here and we just exposed you? What would that feel like? Man, that's what sin does. Those feelings you're feeling, that's what sin does. It leads us to function out of fear of shame, fear of guilt, fear of man. Sin lies to you. Sin leads you to hide. Sin tells you that if they only knew If these people only knew what I was doing, what I thought, what I did in secret, if they only knew. It tells you you wouldn't be fully loved or fully accepted. And yet, what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus knows. Jesus knows and Jesus sees Jesus sees you right where you're at in your sin and says, I love you enough to come and die to show you that by the grace given to you, you are fully loved and in Christ you can be fully accepted. Sin accuses you and the cross provides your pardon. Christ saves us by his death on the cross and when the Holy Spirit calls us to salvation, we are transformed We are a new creation. We have been given a new heart and a new life, and our motivations are changed. Our desires then go from living for ourselves to living for the Lord. When you are in Christ, Christ now lives inside of you through his indwelling Holy Spirit. And this is contrary to every other world religion ever. Other religions would tell you that you are to work for your salvation, that you are to earn your salvation, you are to... Try to get to God by your good deeds. Christianity, on the other hand, teaches that God became a man and did the work that we could never do. Other religions say that God is pleased with you by your morality and by your good works. Christianity teaches us that God is pleased because of Christ. God is pleased by the work of Christ on the cross for the payment of sin's penalty. Thankfully, there's more to Romans 3 than all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul gives us some hope. He says, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24 says, And they're justified by, by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That word means substitute. Whom God put forward put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So Paul says, by faith in what Christ did, we can now be justified, meaning we can now be made right. So faith in Jesus then produces our legal standing before God the judge, who says you are now, because of Christ, not guilty, not, not guilty, now blameless. All of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our fear was transferred to Jesus on the cross, and all of Jesus' righteousness and all of his goodness, all of his perfection was then transferred to us as if we had never sinned. Faith in God by the work of Jesus means you are forgiven and accepted. Therefore, as Christians, we have been given a new life and we now have a responsibility to live on mission for the Lord. For Paul, he says, God has called him to preach to the Gentiles. Paul has been called by God to preach the gospel. Christian, that's the same calling for you. We're not just converted for our own benefit. We are converted for kingdom purposes. If you are a Christian, you are called to be a missionary. Listen, the only difference between a foreign missionary and an American Christian that's a teacher or a pharmacist or a doctor or a lawyer or an oil-filled worker or a nurse or a mom or a dad or a student is geography. It's the only difference. We all have a story to tell of how God's grace is working in us. We all have a story to tell that we were once enemies of God. But God. But God has saved us from death by becoming death for us on the cross. If you are a Christian, your life is no longer your own but it exists to serve as a faithful proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus. Look, Paul's life after Christ called him into faith was not easy, but it was purposeful. Church, may that be true of us. May our lives not be marked by comfort and ease, but by submission to Jesus. May our lives not be marked by our possessions or our bank accounts, but by faithful service to Jesus. So I'd ask you, as we close, just to examine your own life here. Is your life marked by faithfulness to Christ? If you claim to be a Christian, are you allowing yourself to be used by Jesus? Are you engaging in mission to the world around you? Do your neighbors and coworkers see Christ in you? Listen, there is no casual Christianity in the Bible. Somewhere along the way, West Texas kind of didn't read that part of the Bible, but there is no casual Christianity in the Bible. The stories in the Bible are of God calling people out of darkness and into light. 
and their stories of men and women giving up their lives, their lives for the sake of knowing Jesus and making him known. Is that true of you? Christian, is that true of you? Let's pray.